Welcome to the True Exact Show. I'm here with my friend Brian, and I am joined by our special guest to hear the, the sorry about that, the television play-by-play announcer for the Pittsburgh Penguins, my Pittsburgh Penguins, not Brian's New York Rangers. And I'm very happy to have him on. It's Steve Mears. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. No problem. Um, so what we like to do here is get people on that, you know, we're fans of, and I followed you on the NHL Network a few years back when you did the um, – the show from four to six. Uh, and I noticed you went to the Penguins Network, which was awesome. So I want to know how you got into broadcast and how you got into hockey. I know you grew up in Pennsylvania. So how you started and if the Penguins was your dream job and whatnot. So go for it, man. Yeah, I, well, I was the biggest Penguin fan when I was younger. I mean, growing up in Murraysville in the early 90s, they were the team. They had the best player. They had the best announcer. Uh, and not just Mario, but they had so many Hall of Famers on those 91 and 92 Stanley Cup teams. So you couldn't help if you were in my generation, if you were like that age, 10, 11, 12 years old, you couldn't help but get inspired by all of these heroes that we had here. And uh, just because of that, got into it because of Mike Lang. I wanted to be like him and uh, decided that I just thought that was the coolest job in the world. So took the necessary steps to practice that whether it was in high school or college or working in the minor leagues and and I'm very I just wanted to work in the NHL in some capacity whatever it was and I'm very fortunate that it worked out that it happened to be my hometown team here but uh in any capacity in, in any team I would have been just as happy and uh and just as fine with just the opportunity like I always say just to get in for free that's all I want just get in for free and uh I'm very lucky that I get the opportunity to do that you would have been happy even if it was the Flyers? Uh, that's the one team. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> that's the one team. No, you know what? Hey, my, my mother's from South Philly. My grandmother's from South Philly. I've spent a lot of time there. I'm not a fan of the uh, Flyers <laughs> culture and the, the fan base and the team, mm. obviously, just because black and gold is in my DNA. But uh, I have spent a lot of time in Philadelphia. And the truth is, it, hey, I work for the Islanders, and I've yeah. done games for the Rangers. Uh, when, you're, when you're working in it professionally, it doesn't matter. Like, you have to take those shades off. Of course. And, yeah. and you would obviously, yeah, I, if, the, if the Flyers came to me when I was 27 and said, hey, we want you to do, the, want you to do Flyers games, I would have run to, uh, to do that because these jobs are few, and it's, very, it's a very competitive field. And you just, uh, just want to work in the league, like I said. So that is the, the reality is that when you're in a professional setting, it doesn't really matter what the team is. You just want to be in the league. So you mean you wouldn't, ha you wouldn't have a moment between periods and you kind of glance up at the ceiling and be like, man, if this was only the Penguins. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, I, it was kind, of, kind of lived that with the Islanders. I, mean, right. I remember I, like, some of the mm -hmm. most awkward games were when I was doing the Islanders radio and then we came to the Igloo, especially early on. I found it actually mm. – Distracting because here I am in this building that I grew up in and now I'm getting to go in the locker room in the press box and my family is there at the game and they want tickets and they want to come up after the game. And so it was actually really distracting and kind of crazy anytime I would be there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And back then it was like 2007, 2008 and the Islanders weren't good and the Penguins were just on the rise. So every game would be like a 6-1 blowout loss for the Islanders. Yeah. And I'm there and the building's going crazy and Yes, like I said, it's in my DNA, so there was a part of me that was kind of rooting on the pens, even though I had to remember who was signing my paycheck. 
Yeah. I, I always <laughs> wondered that, like, if you grow up like a Yankee fan and you like get a job as a Red Sox announcer, how do you do that? <laughs> like, but I guess, like you said, only in hockey, what only thirty-one or thirty-two teams? There's only thirty-two jobs, so you got to take it at that point, man. Other yeah, you shut it off. You got to shut it off, and uh, you just. And the reality is, I'll probably, I'll probably never watch a hockey game the same like as a fan I'll never do never even if I stop working I'll really never be a fan ever again that's kind of like why I love going to pirate games and Steeler games because yeah. I'm not working it's not like a, it's not a professional setting yeah. I can cheer and I can have a beer and, and have some nachos and just be a fan wave the terrible towel wear a pirate shirt and uh, just enjoy a game in that fan environment hockey though because it's become my career and my professional life that's never going to be the same again. So, yeah, it, it, you just shut that part of your brain off and you just do the job. And I'm sure there are a lot of cases of people who have done that, especially on the national level. you got mm. someone like Joe Buck who grew up yeah. in St. Louis. Like you're, you're going to have tendencies and you're going to lean a certain way, but you have to be a professional, and that comes before anything else. So did you, um, like, practice when you were growing up, like, playing video games? Did you have, like, an announcer voice while you were – Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. You would not have wanted to be – you would not have wanted to be one of my two brothers <laughs> because it was so obnoxious. Not just video games, but it was on the driveway, and I just wouldn't shut up, and it's just so loud and, yeah, squeaky voice, like the, the guy at Krusty Burger on The Simpsons. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, like, really <laughs> annoying. And, uh, and of course, like really rubbing it in anytime I would score or get a big goal in a video game or something. But yeah, I grew up playing Sega Genesis and, uh, and a bunch of other Sega CD and then PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2. So I played all the, all the hockey video games. That was like an exciting day when the EA Sports game came out to get that newest version to see who was on the cover and then to play those games with my brothers or play against the computer. It was just always so much fun. And yeah, I, I would practice announcing it. Little did I know that it was getting me ready for a career in this because those games are pretty fast and you have yeah. to keep up with the names yeah. and everything. You got to pronounce them. And, and I'm there and I would record them into a little tape recorder and I would practice just over and over and over again. And, and at the time, it seemed pretty stupid if you were just watching it. But in reality, it was, it was helping me get used to the flow of calling a hockey game, which I think is the hardest sport to do play by play for. Right. Absolutely. Now, when you started, so you uh, announced college games. Um, did you, when did you get the call from the Islanders? How old were you? Like, were you a young kid? And it was just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Did it just happen like that? Yeah, it was, I was relatively young. I was 27 mm -hmm. uh, or I was 26. So yeah, I was 26. And uh, yeah, it was a dream. It was just, uh, and it was, it happened really quickly. I remember I was going after their job. Their AHL affiliate had an opening for the play-by-play -play position in Bridgeport, and I was interested in that. And uh, because I had kind of kicked open the door a little bit to their organization and going after that job along the way, and so much of it is timing, that uh, their, their, the Islanders radio job came open, and I had kind of had a head start within their organization with that. So the timing and the luck worked out really well. I send them a demo. They like my demo. Um, so it, it just worked out really well. I flew to New York. I'd never been to New York City in my whole life. That was the first time I went to New York and flew in and saw all the buildings and was there for the first time. That was my first uh, experience in New York when I went to interview for the job. And uh, I went in just kind of uh, thankful to be there, but also with the idea that maybe I've got a shot at this. And they, they had uh, 
me in mind and they wanted someone who was relatively young and the team was young and up and coming and they were making a lot of changes. So they, uh, they gave me the job and uh, it, was, it was a great stepping stone position to be in just to get your feet wet in the NHL to get used to what it's like. We were on a big radio station and uh, it was, I was surrounded by brilliant people. My partner, Chris King, uh, people like Howie Rose and Billy Jaffe and, uh, and uh, just in the New York area, just seeing Sam Rosen and Kenny Albert and Doc Emmerich all the time because we play those teams. And it was just such a thrill just to be around them. And just I tried to be a sponge anytime I was around those guys, trying to be uh, somewhat professional and trying to uh, do my best and trying to learn from those guys. So it was, uh, it was really, really cool experience. I was probably in over my head, but it was a good starting point. And then you ended it's, up at the NHL Network, right? I came to Pittsburgh first. I did a little Penguins radio. Right. Uh, the Islanders got rid of their radio broadcast uh, to save some money. They had a, a simulcast. They decided to go to a simulcast. And uh, that, at the time, was like an awful thing. And you lose your dream job. You wonder if you're going to get another shot ever again. But it turned out to be the best thing because that brought me to Pittsburgh. Penguins were starting a new radio network. And it kind of got my foot in the door with the Penguins organization and, uh, and allowed me to come back and work here and do the radio and the radio hosting and some stuff on the scoreboard and Penn TV. And uh, it, was, it was great because it was the last year of the Igloo. Then, then the new building opened up and the team was really good. It's a first-class organization. So, uh, yeah, I went from uh, Long Island to Pittsburgh and then to NHL Network. Nice. Brian, did you have a question? Oh, yeah. When, uh, when you go on these interviews for the jobs, do they – I mean, obviously, they talk to you. They get to know you who you are. They know your body of work. But, like – do you have like a uh, – do they give you like a, a highlight or something to call and then they listen to you do it? Sometimes they do. I've done a few of these uh, kind of auditions or inter job interviews. In some cases, the demo was enough. You send out maybe an email or back then it was on a CD. You email like five minutes of your best play-by-play and uh, they can get a pretty good idea of you. And then there's like a normal job interview where you sit down and you have a conversation just like you're interviewing for any job. Uh, I have done the, the audition thing as well, where they have a host of candidates. And this also happens a lot with like studio type shows, like on NHL Network, where you have to do a mock show or a mock game. And mm. it's, like an, it's like you're an actor auditioning for a part in a, in a yeah. TV show. And they have, say, say, they've got five finalists. They all call the same half period of play-by-play. And then they can compare and contrast with all of them. So I've seen it all. I've seen uh, like different methods. I've seen uh, teams that have gone after some bigger name, more established guys. It's like if Doc Emmerich ever was asked going after a job, they wouldn't need him to go audition. So of course not, like, yeah. his demo, all you have to do is like open your laptop and you could just yeah. find him anywhere. So uh, yeah, so I, I've seen a little bit of everything. Every team has a, and every network has a different uh, philosophy when it comes to that. That would be surreal if they actually made him audition anyway. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Doc, no easy yeah. job. Why don't you do a mock show for us? <laughs> so you go. And you go in there and you just crush it. And yeah, then you'd be like, yeah. okay, we got this guy. We got him now. We just give him the job. I always, I, wanted, I always wanted Doc Emmerich and Gus Johnson to do a crossover oh hockey. God. That game. would be amazing. That would be my favorite thing of all time. So how yeah. was it like, because I used to have, um, because I, I live in New Jersey, so for a few years I bought the um, NHL package so I could watch the Penguin games. And, uh, I mean, you replaced Staggy. How was that? Like, that's a legend, you know? Yeah, he's someone that I 
grew up watching. He was the color analyst. A lot of Penguin fans, maybe younger fans, don't know or aren't fam as familiar. Mike Lang did play-by-play. -play. A lot of years it was a simulcast, radio and TV. And Steige was the color guy. So I grew up with both of those guys, very influential. Uh, learned a lot from both of them just as I was a kid watching Penguin games. And, uh, and yeah, it was uh, when they, they called me and they said they were making a change and they, they tell me that uh, someone's going to get the job. It, it was a tough decision because I loved living in New York. I loved being on NHL Network. It was so much fun. I worked with EJ Raddick and being in that chair every day, covering all the stories in the hockey world, every trade, every type of uh, big game that happened, every huge event. We were there. So I, as a hockey fan, I just loved that job. And it was tough. There was a decision that had to be made. But ultimately, I think my first love is play-by-play. -play. And, uh, and then, as you mentioned, just the fact that it's Pittsburgh, my family is here, and I can come back and, and live in this great city. It's so affordable. It's just a wonderful place to live. I know I'm biased, but it's a great place to live. And I thought it was a win-win because I love New York, too. I love Pittsburgh. They're my two favorite cities. So either way, I was happy. Did you notice a difference between New York fans and Pittsburgh fans at all when you were doing the Islanders as opposed to the Penguins? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've known that for years, though. I didn't need to work. I didn't need to work to know that. I mean, I remember going to the Igloo and seeing, like, well-traveled Ranger fans who would invade the Igloo. Like, I remember the Rangers had a good following that would come to Pittsburgh. The Flyers and Caps definitely did. The biggest one was Toronto. They would just invade the build. They would be blue everywhere. And this is like 30 years ago at uh, Mellon Arena in Pittsburgh. So, yeah, for years I've seen Ranger fans and, and uh, just going to Penguin games and, and seeing what that's like and hearing the reputation of whether it's Yankee fans or, or so forth. The Islander fan base is really unique. And I've, I've almost thought that there's a parallel between the Pirate fan base and the Islander fan base. The timelines are kind of the same where they had these glory years within the last four decades or so. They had some big time struggles and have had some moments where they've started to come out of it, but then they get kind of pushed back down. And there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of frustration with the Pirates fan base and there's a lot of frustration with the Islanders fan base. And the good news is that at least lately, I think both of the organizations are trying to take some positive steps, especially the Islanders, uh, taking yeah. some steps in the right direction. <laughs> and trying to get back on some solid ground. But uh, yeah, it's a, but the, the Islander, it's like a dormant fan base, Long Island with the, the glory years of their dynasty and, uh, and a lot of uh, frustration because they, they are like no sports franchise with the amount of ownership gaps and horrible trades and owners, past owners who were go off the jail for various <laughs> reasons. I mean, it's like it, it, it's like you can make a documentary. Some have. You can make a, a long documentary about what that fan base has had to go through. But they're unbelievably passionate. And I give them a lot of credit because they still show up at Nassau Coliseum. They have the tailgating atmosphere. It's kind of like a small town atmosphere where it's just, just like such a big event. And it's a big part of the community of Long Island. Uh, the only thing is, though, they just have to get back to – like Stanley Cup contention and hopefully relive those glory years of the 80s and maybe a lot even more fans will probably uh, come back out of the woodwork. So in Pittsburgh I have to ask because Brian here is a Steeler fan yep. and obviously football rules the the world in my opinion. Are the Penguins do they get as big as the Steelers when they're good? Yep. Yeah, they probably have. I mean over these last <clears throat> few years with uh, especially a younger fan base mm -hmm. 
And uh, that, that goes back to the 09 Cup run. Because they, they, there was a generation that literally grew up as the Penguins kids were growing up, kind of college age. I remember pulling up with the Islander bus and seeing that student rush line for the $20 tickets. It, would wrap, it wrapped around the igloo on like a cold winter night and went down the hill. And I used to stand in that line when I was in high school. And it was just such a great deal. And you got to go to a game for a cheap price, get a great ticket. And those kids were, they're like, high school or college age and the penguins best players were high school or college age yeah, yeah. So they're playing in the nhl so they kind of grew up together i think the penguins have a solid grasp on that younger demographic in pittsburgh of course yeah football western pa the steelers tradition that you, that's never going to be surpassed but i think the penguins have made some huge strides here uh with the success that they've had and there's no doubt this is a hockey town so if, yeah, if the steelers are 1a the penguins are 1b and the Penguins organization, they will be the first ones to say that they've learned a lot from the Steelers and how they've promoted their brand and how they've been a first-class organization mm -hmm. for so long. And people like David Morehouse and, and Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux, they've said many times they, they take a lot from what the Steelers have built here in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one thing that I also – I don't mean to cut you off, Scott. Uh, what's one thing I also noticed? Because, I mean, obviously out here we've been to Giants games, we've been to Jets games, Rangers, Devils, all that stuff. Um, but we've also been out to Boston. I've been to Pittsburgh a couple times. I've been to Steelers games. I've been to Penguins games. Um, the difference of when you go to a game out here as opposed to somewhere else, um, I feel like when, when you're in another area rather than like the tri-state area, it's more of an experience like when you go to a game like there's things to look at there's stuff to see when you go to a giants game they don't want you in the parking lot long they want you to get in watch the game there's nothing else to see and get out and there's nothing else to do it's not like a a full day's experience like i know the first time i went to heinz field um just being able to walk around the stadium and look at like the lockers how they have them with the super bowl trophies and just seeing the whole getting that whole experience and i've been to metlife stadium a couple plenty of times and it's like you just go there and it is what it is and that's it and you're out yeah i feel like that plays a huge role in uh the amount of people that come to the games and like really have that experience I could see yeah that. i think a lot of it has to do with the the stadium location i, I especially because we travel around to very all the cities in the nhl and uh, some of the best are the ones that have like an arena district. I think Columbus is mm -hmm. one of the best ones where you have a lot going on around the arena and yeah. you can make an experience out of it by going to dinner and there's live music being played and you can hang out with your friends and then you go to the game. You might even hang yeah. out afterward and make it a long <laughs> night and have a great time. Uh, like MetLife is kind of a unique circumstance because it's, kind of, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's outside the city. It's hard to mm -hmm. get to. And, uh, and even Madison Square Garden, you're in, in the middle of Manhattan in Midtown, and there's a million other things that are going on. So, uh, yeah, here in Pittsburgh, we're really lucky because the locations of all three big league stadiums are fantastic. And you, you've got yeah. State Day E, you've got PNC Park, you've got Heinz Field. You could park downtown, have dinner, and walk across the bridge and go yep. to any one of those venues or go to PPG Paints Arena. Uh, Philadelphia is kind of the same thing, a little bit more on the outskirts, but it's all centralized and there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, stuff that you can do there. So I just think it's about stadium location and, uh, and what the other options are. And now the trend for a lot of these teams is to have more of a, uh, an arena district. And uh, like I said, I think one of the best and most underrated cities and road trips for a Penguin fan is Columbus because it's close and the people are nice 
and it's a beautiful arena and the arena district is so cool and a fun city where they got everything from music to art and uh, it's a young college town and uh, they've got the Ohio State culture with Buckeye football and I think that if I was going to take a road trip, a short one, that would be one of the ones on my list if I was living in mm -hmm. Pittsburgh, just drive over to Columbus and see the setup that they have. That's good to note. I might have to make a trip from New Jersey. <laughs> they, um, so, all right, let's get into the new playoff format, if you don't mind. Do you like it? Are you a fan of it? What would you have done? And the ear to the ground out there in Pittsburgh, um, are they a fan of it? I know they have a little dispute with playing Carey Price. Uh, would, would you have gone the 12-team format? I like that you get as many teams involved as possible. I know it's not ideal, especially for a Penguin team that was – almost definitely going to make the playoffs. And now you have to play what is kind of a crapshoot in a five-game series against Price and the Canadians. Uh, I think that you wanted to get as many teams involved because it was unfair. There were uneven amount of games played. So if a team had played two less games and there were, say, two or three points out of the playoffs and now their season gets finished, that's not really fair. And if the Penguins were sitting in that position, I think there'd be outrage if uh, they were denied a chance to go to the playoffs. So you want to give those teams that were on the bubble at least a shot to get in. And I also am glad they excluded the teams at the very bottom because no one wants to see the Red Wings or the Senators. They're done. They had already been eliminated. There's no yeah. point in getting them back into it. So I like that this is kind of a middle ground that involves as many teams as possible. And, uh, yeah, I, I actually think the, this kind of play-in tournament might be to the Penguins' benefit. Of course, they have to win. But I think playing in a high-stakes environment, like Mike Sullivan says, right off the hop, you've been off for three months, you get right in, and you got to play games for your playoff life. I think that's going to benefit them as opposed to the top-end teams like the Capitals and the Bruins that are just going to be playing for seeding, and that's not the same as playing for your playoff life. So right. they're just playing like next to meaningless games and just trying to get their legs underneath them. The Penguins will be thrown right into the fire right away. And assuming they can beat Montreal, which I think they can, I think it's going to be to their benefit. And they're going to be rolling along here maybe the first round or the next – portion of the playoffs technically the first round of the actual playoffs would also be best of five and uh, you know the penguins are relatively healthy i think they're <clears> gonna have as good a shot as anybody to win the cup if we do get back right do you I think you. do you think that this decision they made with how they set up this playoff format was more for a decision based on fairness or a decision based on uh making up the financial loss from april and may that they lost yeah, there's part of that financial side. That, that it's, it's a business. That is definitely yeah. a part of it. And you want to get as many teams involved as possible. So 24, when you look at it that way, 24, much better than 16. But I thought the most important thing was making sure it was as fair as possible to the teams that were mm -hmm. just on the outside, especially the ones that had played less games. It was not cut off at an even spot. If everyone had played 70 games, then we might have a different discussion. But you had some teams, and some of them might have had some great momentum. Like maybe they're on a five-game winning streak. They're playing their best hockey. And it's not their fault that the virus happens, and now they've played a fewer amount of games, and they're left out in the dust. So uh, I think that's the best way. But, yeah, there's no question. There's financial elements to it as well. Getting as many teams involved, they can fulfill sponsorship obligations mm -hmm. and TV contracts. And uh, it also – is better again leaving out the bottom feeders and it's a shame they won't be able to play they're going to go a long time time yeah. without playing hockey but no one needs to see the red wings or the senators they would they've been eliminated among other teams 
And uh, some of these other teams like Montreal and Chicago, they get a second life. And uh, who knows? Maybe they're able to take advantage of it. But um, still, the, the Stanley Cup playoffs are going to weed out a lot of those teams. It, you, either way, whether it's the first round's best of five or best of seven, there's still going to be four rounds. And <laughs> you're going to get exposed. If you're not good enough, you're going to get exposed very quickly because yeah. that's how the playoffs work. If you want to win the greatest trophy in sports, the toughest trophy to win, then uh, you're going to have to be at least a pretty good team and uh, ultimately a great team to go through four rounds. I don't care how long they are. It is it's, a tough trophy to win. I mean, some teams have won it three years in 10 years. Some haven't won it in 26, Brian. I mean, I'm just throwing that out there. The Rangers. 90, what, yeah, 94? Very, yeah, yeah, very tough trophy to win. <laughs> so I do agree, Steve, I do agree with you on the, um, on the aspect of the four-team round robin. To me, they're just going to kind of sleepwalk through that because really do they care where they get seated? So you might catch one of those teams sleeping if you're like the Rangers or Canadians who get past that first round. Yeah, but yeah, the you, thing can't, you can't duplicate it. You, cannot, yeah. you can't duplicate that win and you're in mm-hmm. and that must-win environment. And I think to be thrown right into it is the best thing that can happen. So maybe the Penguins are in the, in the best position right now. Now, if they have some significant injury in the best of five and, and you have another team that's fresh, well, that's, that's different. But uh, I, I just think that the, the Penguins will be in a, a very good position that uh, they're playing these high-stakes games right away right. as opposed to teams. So these teams have been off for three months, so we don't know where they're at. We don't know when exactly. certain teams getting injured guys back, whether it's Jake Gensel or Steven Stamkos or Seth Jones. How's that going to affect things? How is the team chemistry going to be for any team after this long yep. layoff? So there's going to be so much that's unknown, and there will be a need to develop some new chemistry here after such a long layoff. And these bubble teams that play in the play-in round are going to have the opportunity to do that. That's good, yeah. When are you getting when – um, when do you think they're going to start? Mid-July? I know they haven't set a date yet. What are you thinking? What are you hearing? Yeah, there was a report that the players were told that uh, training camp wouldn't begin until at least July 10th. And we've yeah. already heard that it's going to be like a two- to three-week training camp. So I'm thinking more like August, a very late July or early August. Uh, there's still a lot of hurdles that have to be cleared. They still want to find out uh, the logistics as far as which, what are the hub cities, how are the players going to be housed, what about their families, will they be able to have some type of a normal life away from the hotel, are they going to be able to leave, what happens if they have to go home for a family emergency. Like They have all these questions. Uh, so those are the things they're working on as we speak. And they're working to get those things ironed out. All we know now is, is the format of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. We don't know if it's going to happen for sure. We don't know where it's going to happen. We don't even know exactly when. But at least we have some type of a format. And, uh, and I commend the NHL. Give them a lot of credit. They're, they're way ahead of these other leagues yeah. as yeah. far as having a plan and kind of a rough timeline. And they've been transparent with the fan base. They've been open to new ideas. They've said, hey, general managers, owners, anybody, if you have an idea about how to do this, we're all ears. So uh, I give them a lot of credit for leading the way in, uh, in trying to get back because we all, ultimately, everybody involved, we just want the game to be back and uh, enjoy the sport that we love. Now, are they going to, when they come back, you as an announcer, are you going to be traveling with them or they have something set up where you'll be doing it from like somewhere else watching the game through a TV? That's another thing that hasn't really been ironed out completely, but I would imagine, I think with all sports, 
the announcers are not going to be on site. Maybe the national ones will be. They're going to be really limiting the amount of people that are allowed in the building, both from a team perspective and a media perspective. So uh, that, to me, is, is good news for sports TV, that uh, not only will there be great ratings, but there are going to be ways to make it even better because uh, you can have you can experiment with camera angles and with audio, and there's going to be all kinds of possibilities with this. And uh, I, I think if we're doing it from a monitor, I don't care whatsoever. The game could be in Siberia, and I could have the tiniest monitor in the world. It doesn't matter to me. I just want to do a game. And that's, I've actually done it before. I did three World Juniors off a monitor where we weren't on location. And it's not perfect, but it's not that bad. And there are some things that you sacrifice, but – as long as you have a decent setup in a studio somewhere, then uh, you can make it work. And the reality is most, most times uh, people don't even realize that you're, you're not there because yeah. uh, the way the audio is. And at this can point, we get we... them to bring the glowing puck back? Yes. <laughs> I love the glowing puck. I, love it. I don't understand why they ever got rid of it. It was all wow. You, you guys are like the two people yeah. who love the glow puck. Yeah, I did. That's uh, you know, it's it's funny though. That that was something that was way ahead of its time. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of people hated it. it. It didn't last very long when it was on Fox in the '90s. But mm -hmm. the irony is that it's coming back now because of this player tracking and puck tracking and having a chip inserted into the puck and uh, having different. Uh, ways to track the shot speed and, and the passing the, yeah, the pa they can do it pattern. so much better now yeah. yeah now you're looking at 20 plus years of uh, yeah. better technology so uh, they can improve on it i i personally would rather they just leave that to more like the replays and uh more of a breakdown type thing yeah, the possibilities are endless i do like the the miles per hour on the shot like real time yeah. when a guy comes yeah. down and he takes a slap shot and you can see right away 95 miles an hour i love that they've experimented with that in the all-star game i really like that uh but the best sports tv is just simple and most fans just want the game and present it in a simple way mm -hmm. no need to over announce and, and that's like kind of like my job is just kind of stay out of the way These, the pictures tell the story by itself especially a team like the penguins with crosby and malkin and so forth like they do the job and they sell the product and sell the excitement, all we have to do is just sort of frame the picture and uh, basically just get out of the way because it's, uh, it's just the fans are there. They're not there to see or listen to me. They're there to watch these great athletes. Uh, you've been around, obviously, the Islanders, the Penguins. Who's the most talented player you've been around? People might not think. Like, obviously, Crosby, Malkin, but is there someone that stood out to you like, wow, this guy has so much ability. If he just put it all together, he could have been, one like, really great. Yeah, there are so many. Um, when I, I look at the, the Islanders' days. Uh, the captain of the team was Alexi Yashin. And mm -hmm. uh, he had some good years with the Ottawa Senators. And he, was a, he was a solid New York Islander. But we would watch him play and just see this. He had the total package, the size, the strength, the shot, the vision. It just never quite came together to be a prolific scorer and player in the game. And, uh, and it, it would kind of be maddening because you, he did have some good years and put up some good numbers, great guy. And uh, I think there was just more there. And you just wish that he was able to put it together a little bit better, especially for those Islander teams. And in fairness to him, the teams weren't very good either. Uh, yeah. So that's one name that comes to mind with the Islanders. Uh, with the Penguins, there's, they've had so many great players that are like obvious picks. And, uh, uh, you know, one guy immediately I think of that, he was an overachiever 
And uh, I don't think people realize how good of a player Chris Kunitz was. Yes, yeah. And this, like, what, what he brought from a physical standpoint. This is a guy who was waived twice in one year, undrafted, and uh, he ended up having so much success with all the cups that he won with Anaheim and with Pittsburgh. He just he was so smart, and that's why he was able to play with Crosby. He's one of Crosby's best line yeah. mates, was because he could think on that level, and he had the speed, and he threw some of the biggest hits. And he scored clutch goals, none bigger than 2017 double overtime game seven against okay. Ottawa. Um, so as, as like a complimentary player, but also as a guy who could play a top three role, Chris yeah. Kunitz, I think he overachieved in his career and he got the most. He squeezed so much out of his natural ability and uh, ended up having just an incredible career. Do you think guys get that get called up with Crosby, it's kind of like – you're, you're kind of throwing him into the lion's den a little. Like, let's say a young guy like Bo Bennett when he got called up, right? Like, you're kind of always expecting the next Crosby, the next Crosby, and it's just not going to happen. And a guy like that might be so overwhelmed playing with him or Malkin, it kind of does them a disservice. Yeah, it's intimidating. A lot of guys have talked about that. It's intimidating. That's why I give Jake Gensel yeah. a lot of credit because he's a young guy, still is. And he just fits in there seamlessly. And he's another guy. He's just so smart. He's not the biggest guy, but he's tough in a way that he'll take a hit to make a play. He's on his hockey sense. As we hear that all hockey sense, hockey IQ. He's the son of a coach. Uh, he is another guy who can think on Crosby's level and is so brilliant when it comes to the game and making plays and getting to this little soft area where no one sees him and bang, it's in the net because he was open just for a half second and Crosby spotted him. Uh, it's it, th those things you just can't teach that he's yeah. just so intelligent and uh, he's not intimidated whatsoever I've asked him about that and he, about playing with Crosby and is it intimidating and he says that that's the thing you have to just play your game you have to just worry about your game itself and don't worry about trying to defer to Crosby trying not to force things too much and, and that list is long of, of players who did not work and, and uh, tried to play on that line it just for whatever reason there just wasn't any chemistry but uh, with Jake Gensel, it's, it's been seamless ever since he first started in 2017 yeah. and dumped right in. So, uh, but it has to be intimidating. You're talking <laughs> about one of the greatest players of all time, and you're expected to produce. And if you don't produce, now you start squeezing the stick a little bit, and uh, that could be really frustrating. Right. No, speaking, you... speaking of great players, I got one for you. Pat LaFontaine. <laughs> yeah. He's a great player. Absolutely. Trying Absolutely. Just throwing out the names here. Yeah. Well, he's one of the best. He was on the Islanders. Yeah. One of the best, yeah. Islanders and a Buffalo Sabres. Buffalo I Rangers. Rangers. I, yeah, I, I think of 93 when Lemieux has the battle with Hodgkin's disease. He's an unbelievable amount of points behind LaFontaine, ends up missing 20-some games or so, and ends up catching him. He scored 160 points in 60 games that year. If he hadn't had the Hodgkin's disease, he might have broken yeah. uh, the 200. He probably almost definitely would have broken 200 points, might have broken Wayne Gretzky's single-season record. Um, but, yeah, he, there's another guy who, who squeezed the most out of his yeah. career and wasn't the biggest player, and especially in an era where it was clutch and grab and the bigger players were – they had a distinct advantage because they weren't calling the game as tightly. He was one who battled through concussion issues and uh, made the most out of his career. So I, I give him a ton of credit. He was dynamic. He was, he was definitely fun to yeah. watch. One of the best American players of all time. Now, when you started uh, doing the Islander games or Penguin games, obviously, you're, you know, it's your dream job and whatnot. 
was there a certain player who you just commend for welcoming you in with open arms? One you could point out, like, all right, this guy made it real comfortable. He was one of the nicest guys there. Yeah, there were uh, the Islanders had a bunch. The Islander, one of them is uh, the general manager of the Minnesota Wild now, Billy Garen. And yeah. uh, I remember being with to him with the Islanders, and he was the captain of the team, and he was so funny and so fun to be around. And then, of course, he gets traded to the Penguins, wins yeah. the cup. The next year is when I came to the Penguins, and I walked into the dressing room the first day of training camp, and he just like is he was just shocked to see me. He's like, "Mirzy, what are you doing here?" I said, "Well, I work here now. I got, I got a job with the Penguins." He goes, "Holy upgrade!" He was so excited to see me <laughs> and happy that I had started with the Penguins and uh, had left the Islanders. So uh, he was one that that's one that stands out. Brendan Witt. Um, the former defenseman who was so nice, Bruno Gervais, Mike Sillinger, all these guys were uh, just incredible. I was so young. Like I said, yeah. I was 26. I was an NHL rookie. They knew that. And uh, they couldn't have been nicer and just friendlier, welcoming me in. Doug Waite is another guy. And then with the Penguins, uh, when, I, when I started uh, doing the radio, like in 2010, we had guys like Mike Rupp and mm-hmm. Sidney Crosby and Marc-Andre Fleury, and they're just, they, these are wonderful people. Matt Cook was a great guy. Uh, really? For all the trouble yeah. he got, yeah, for yeah. all the trouble he got into on the ice, he was a great guy. Pascal Dupuis was a great guy, and uh, uh, these were all, these are just, they're all people you'd want to have a beer with, you'd want to go to dinner with. They're just incredibly friendly, humble, and they, they treat you just with a ton of respect. So, uh, and that Crosby is at the very top of the list for me, but there's, uh, even on this team now, Matt Murray, Jake Gensel, uh, Marcus Pedersen, um, you just can keep going down the list. Brian Dumoulin, Chris Letang. These are, these are Pat, uh, Patrick Hornquist. These are some of the best guys. And uh, you see why they have so much success is because they treat others the way they want to be treated. All right. Have you ever thought about doing other sports or no? Yeah, I did. Uh, I did some baseball. I'm not calling games, but I did studio work with baseball mm-hmm. when I was work, working over at NHL Network. Some people may not know that NHL Network and MLB Network are owned by the same company. They're in the same building. So people who work for one work for the other usually. And I got a chance to do some baseball. I love baseball. Big Pirate fan. Lifelong Pirate fan. Uh, Been working on some tennis. Possibly going to be doing some tennis uh, later on in the year. So hockey is my first love. I'm open to doing just about any sport. But uh, I think if there was one that I'd love to do, it probably would be baseball because that's like the complete opposite of hockey play yeah. by play much slower. You got to be a good storyteller. You have so much downtime. You got to be well-prepared hockey. The action takes care of itself and you have to have the challenge of just keeping up with the names and the speed. But baseball I think is a whole different animal and is also incredibly challenging for different reasons. So uh, just being a lifelong baseball fan, I'd probably choose that one. Nice. All right. I want to get your cup prediction. Give us one. Come on. Don't be shy. Well, I'm, I'm biased. I mean, I'm not going to not say the Penguins. So um, I do think they're going to have a really good chance. But how can you make a prediction? How do we know what, like, you'd say, like, Tampa was, was one that's impressive. Boston, after they went to the final <laughs> last year. Uh, so some of those teams, the, the only ones that, like, I could see some team coming out of nowhere because of this unpredictable nature I could see a team coming somewhat out of nowhere and winning it all. Like, uh, I don't know, maybe a Dallas Stars or a Vegas Golden Knights or something. The other thing is, like, the injuries. We've got some teams, they never thought they'd have Jake Gensel, Seth Jones, Steven Stamkos, Mark Stone for the start of the playoffs. And now they will. 
So mm-hmm. how does that change everything? Like Columbus is yeah. way different with Seth Jones and Tampa's way different with Steven Samkos than without. So that totally changes the ball game. Uh, so this is, this has the potential to be one of the most unpredictable Stanley cup playoff years we've ever seen because of the layoff and anything that happened in March almost doesn't really matter anymore. If you had a 10 game winning, streak, remember the flyers were on fire. What does that mean now? Like that, they, there could be a completely different dynamic with those teams. And conversely, if you were struggling now, maybe you have a second wind and you're a completely different team. We just don't know how it's going to play out. Like if you have a fully healthy, fully rested Lundquist, Oh, what God, could happen? Stop. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, there's a guy. He he's a, a goaltending. We talk about Carey Price. Yeah. Lundqvist, I think he still has a lot of good hockey left in him. Uh, the Rangers were a team that were they were exciting. They're young. They're fun to watch this year. So uh, it's a like what about Edmonton? I know they struggle with goaltending and defense, which is obviously their Achilles heel, but. McDavid and Dreisaitl, two of the most dynamic players. Yeah. And uh, maybe they just they got a young team that, that rides those two guys and they shock some people. We just don't know. It's just it's so unpredictable because we, this is uncharted territory. We've never seen anything like it. And uh, I go back to kind of like a 2005, 2006 season when we came out of the, the full work stoppage. Remember, that was an unpredictable year. And Carolina ended up winning, winning the Stanley Cup and nobody ever saw that coming. So uh, then we could have something similar. It was Carolina and Edmonton who made it to the Stanley Cup final. That, that, that went seven, similar. right? That went seven games, right? Edmonton won a game six or something, six nothing. Right. right, exactly, yeah. And Carolina won on home ice yeah. in game seven. It was a great series. Uh, Buffalo had gone to the conference final. They were kind of the favorite. They had a bunch of injuries. And Edmonton shocked everybody, and Carolina shocked everybody. And it was like the most unpredictable Stanley Cup final matchup that you could ever have envisioned. But I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we were coming out of the work stoppage. And also it was a different game where they had made a bunch of rule changes. So uh, there are a lot of different factors that, uh, that went into that. And I think we could see something similar where it's not going to be the usual suspects that end up as the final four teams. Right. All right, Steve, uh, we're going to, thanks for your time. man. I know you're busy. We're going to ask you a few questions, just to lighten the mood here. We like to do it just uh, as we call it the gun to your head segment. So first thing that comes to your mind, you ready? Sure. All right, man. Uh, tie Domi or tie dye shirts? <laughs> <laughs> tie Domi just for the fact that we were in the, that, who was that? There was that fan, whatever year yeah, it was, that fell the, into the penalty box when the glass broke and Ty Domi beat him up. That was the great one of the great moments in uh, hockey history off ice that this like goofy Flyers fan is leaning over and now all of a sudden he falls into the lion's den and Ty Domi is there to give him a few shots. That's uh, I'm gonna go Ty Domi any day of the week. Brian, you're up. Go back and forth. Okay. Um, let's see. Take a slap shot to the chest from Bobby Hull or paint the hull of a boat. I'm going to go with the boat. Why would I ever want to get hit with Bobby <laughs> Hull's slap shot? Oh, my God. This guy. Like, it's like kind of the stuff that's like tall tale stuff, but they say he, he could shoot it over 120 miles yeah. an hour. I don't know how yeah. accurate that was, but there's that myth that, like, the puck only stayed on the ice, and that's why the goalies didn't wear masks and everything. And it's not true. Bobby Hull was playing in the 60s and was firing lasers at goalies yeah. who didn't have any facial protection. So uh, that's like one of the, one of the <laughs> most insane. amazing things that goalies didn't <laughs> yeah. wear masks. All right. Um, Barry Melrose or Melrose Place? 
I, I don't think I ever watched Melrose play. <laughs> I barely watched 90210. And I know, I know Barry really well. And he's a good friend. I work with him many, many years at NHL Network. So I'll take the, uh, the mulleted one any day. Gotcha. Catch a, t- a touchdown pass from Tom Brady or star in a reboot of the Brady Bunch? Uh, I would probably make more money doing the Brady Bunch show. I don't know how successful it would have been. Uh, <laughs> I probably would drop the Brady pass. He could lay it in there perfectly, and I would probably fumble it. So uh, uh, I might have to go with the – maybe it launches an acting career. I don't know. I'll go with the you Brady You never know. <laughs> All right. Musical artist The Weeknd or Kevin Weeks? Oh, Weeksy, if, he, if, I, if I didn't pick him, he, he would go crazy. I mean, uh, he's a good friend of mine. I, we, we did so many yeah. shows together. We called Stanley Cup Finals together on NHL International, including both Penguin Cup wins. Uh, such a great guy, amazing ambassador to the, uh, to the game. So, uh, yeah, I got to go. I like the weekend, but Weeksy all the way. All right. Stop Pat Kane in a shootout or eat 100 candy canes? <laughs> Oh, I do like candy canes, just not a hundred. What are we talking, like one holiday or what? Like in a year? No, just you got to eat all in one day. Oh, forget it. You have to pick a better food than that. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not against uh, some of the competitive eating, and uh, and I, I have a, a lot, pretty wide palate, wide range of things I like. But um, I'm going to go with uh, trying to – I think it'd be cool. Like Patrick Kane, you see those shootout moves yeah. he's got, those million moves yeah. he comes in, makes the goalie look so bad. I'd gladly look like a fool just to, just to see that, <laughs> to experience that. I think it'd be cool. Plus, if you stop them, you can just retire. You're good. Yeah. It's yeah. Over. <laughs> but you're not going to. That's, no. <laughs> That's certainly not me. Dunkin' Donuts coffee or Paul coffee? I am not a coffee drinker. I uh, – I don't. I probably had like three cups in my life. Wow. Yeah, I'm not. I like tea. I just like we go to Canada and they were like all of our guys, Bob Airy and Phil Bork. They, they rave about Tim Hortons, and I just I never got into it. I don't need another thing that I need to get into. So uh, I will gladly take uh, number seventy-seven on that one. <laughs> all right. So for a million dollars, would you rather face Tiger Hood, Tiger Woods for one hole? or live in the woods being chased by a tiger for a week? <laughs> there is a lot of tiger discussion going on in this yeah. uh, quarantine with Tiger King and everything. And yeah. uh, after having watched that show and having seen the damage that they can do, <laughs> even to people who are somewhat trained, even though uh, we, they may not know what they're doing, but they, they at least have some experience, I will uh, hang out with Tiger Woods any day than uh, deal with some of those <laughs> beasts. Does that, that show opened my eyes like – You'd have no chance. You're just like telling no, me, you'd not have no all. chance if one of those caught your, got in your path. Just forget about it. I got a penguin one for you here. Would you rather rewatch Sudden Death, the movie, or just suddenly fall in a hole? <laughs> I, I was very fond of Sudden Death. Jean-Claude Van Damme. And uh, I remember, like, I was in middle school when that came out, and there were some people, I think some kids skipped school so they could be an extra in that movie. And really? Igloo. Yeah, I think I'm pretty wow. sure that was something you could do. Uh, I wish I had thought of that and done that in hindsight, but uh, I like Sudden Death. I, I saw like it in theaters, actually. <laughs> I actually saw it in theaters, I think, because I was a Penguin fan. 
And I was like, oh, this is cool. And then I was like, what am I, what am I watching? But all right, whatever. Bye, <laughs> last one. All right, last one. Julius Peppers or Julius Caesar? Uh, I'm a history fan. I'll go with Julius Caesar. And also a fan of Caesar salad, even though I know they're not related. So uh, I will, uh, I'll go with uh, that version of Julius. Steve, uh, where can we catch you? What's your Twitter handle and uh, your, your Instagram? Uh, it's Mirzi NHL. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to get back, hoping to get back here pretty soon. I think uh, it's looking good. We continue to trend upward. And I'm just hoping that we can call games in some form or fashion. I don't care where it is. So uh, we'll keep everybody updated and, uh, and, and just try to get everybody a little idea of what it's like behind the scenes on Twitter and on Instagram and everything. But uh, I'm like everybody else. You just want to get back, want to stay healthy, make sure it's done safe and, uh, and done in a safe manner. And, and uh, everyone's healthy, the players, the coaches, the media, the fans. So I just hope that uh, we can get back here in the next month or two and, uh, and just have what we all love, which is uh, the game of hockey. And thanks a lot for taking the time out to come on. Thanks, you didn't man. have to. Really appreciate it, bud. Yeah, my pleasure. Keep up the great work. Thank you.